Christ and all that he's done for us, he does sit on that throne in heaven, doesn't he? Let's clap until the lights come on. And then, whoa, there we go. Excellent. Man, I'm so glad you guys are here today again. Just, just being together as the family of God to celebrate all that he's done for us is so incredibly important. We're going to be in God's word this morning, continuing to unpack this idea of making space at the table. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 3, and Romans chap- or Luke chapter 8, rather. So I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me. We'll be there in just uh, a little while. All of our text, of course, is going to be on the screen. Uh, you know, we've, we've been in this series for some time now, and we've talked about racism and color of skin. We've talked about nation of origin. We've talked about where you're at on the ta- tax bracket. And today we want to talk about the inclusion of all genders in the story of God, both of us, male and female, and what that truly means for us as we live out our life for the glory of Jesus Christ. Because what we know at the end is that Jesus came to tear down walls, to break down barriers, to build bridges so that all of us would know that we're invited to the table of God. It's so incredibly important that you and I live a type of life that gives God glory in everything that we do and we say. That we're inclusive of all people because Jesus died for all people. No matter where you come from, no matter who you are, no matter what your name is, no matter what team you root for. Jesus still died for you. You know, as I did the reading and got prepared for today's lesson over genderism, uh, I did, uh, again, a lot of reading, a lot of online research and things, and I saw a quote that I knew to be very, very true. And, and for those of us in this audience who believe a woman's place is in the kitchen, remember that's where they keep the knives. <laughs> Just saying. But no doubt you've got things going on in your life where you have created a storyline. A moment where maybe you wanted to segregate yourself from the other gender, kind of put them on the other side of the room and make a blanket statement for everyone who found themselves in the opposite gender. Maybe it was a bad dating situation that you grew up experiencing. And because of what happened in those dating moments, you decided to kind of pull yourself away, to to put the gender over there on that side of the room. Maybe maybe it was something that happened along the way. And so you kind of got this this feeling, this desire to, to kind of blanket everybody in that moment. Maybe maybe you've been angry along the way because somebody did something inappropriate to you. And so you're trying to reconcile that and work through that. And and in the midst of all of that, you've kind of categorized everyone in that gender as the same. Maybe maybe you experienced a really difficult marriage that ended in in a bitter divorce. And through that process, you kind of grouped everyone in that gender together. And and you kind of put them off to the side, making a decision that everyone is like that. Maybe you've grown up with some biases and some stereotypes in your life that kind of help ostracize you in that category. Maybe you don't even know you've got some of those biases. But this morning as we begin to unpack scripture and text, what I want us to leave with here today is a better understanding that both of us, male and female, have been called to the table of God. That Jesus Christ 
wants both of us as part of his storyline. And as we lean into that and look at some different texts, I hope that you'll hear clearly what the Word of God is saying in this moment. Because if you look at the life and the culture in which Jesus lived and which Paul lived, it was a very patristic society, meaning that it was really run by the male. And so many times, females did not have a voice in the public marketplace anywhere except for in the home. And even then, sometimes the female was considered property. The female voice has been shrunk and tucked away. But what we find in the story of Jesus Christ is when he came here, that he tore down all of those walls. He took away the barrier and he created bridges so that everyone would know that they're part of the story of God. You and I can read through Jesus' own life and the history of that first century church in the book of Acts. And what we see over and over in Jesus' life and then was exampled through that first century church is that women and men collectively came together in the body of Christ to tell the story of who Jesus truly was. You take a look in Acts chapter 1. Right after Jesus Christ ascends back into heaven just outside Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives... But before Pentecost, all the disciples, male and female, and some of those females are mentioned by name, go back into the city, into the upper room, and they begin in prayer together, in ministry together, living out the story of Jesus together, equal in the moment. You take a look at the very end of the passion story in Luke chapter 24, but who is it at that empty tomb on that Sunday morning? But it's a group of women who've come to take care of Jesus. They talk to the angels and they realize the story is absolutely true. The grave is empty. And they hurry back to town to those male disciples who are locked away in an upstairs room and tell them it is so true. You look at the unfolding of that first century church in Acts chapter 16. Paul is on his missionary journey and he comes to a location around Derby and he he goes outside the city gate to find a woman named Lydia who's leading a prayer group and they become the church in that town. Lydia is involved in ministry. She's leading that group. You take a look in Acts chapter 16. And over and over again, we see this couple mentioned throughout the book of Acts and with Paul in his ministry efforts. It's Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla, anytime that they're mentioned as a couple, Priscilla is always mentioned first, which in the century that Paul is living in, that's taboo. You always mention the man first. It's a patristic society. But not so with Priscilla and Aquila. She and he are involved equally as partners in the story of telling about Jesus Christ. You take a look in the book of Acts. There's a guy by the name of Philip. Philip is one of the deacons in the Jerusalem church. You can find that out in Acts chapter 6 earlier in the telling of the story. But in chapter 21, you find Philip and his four daughters are prophesying. Now, you and I look at that as foretelling the future. But if you look at the definition of prophesying in the Word of God, in the New Testament, it looks more like teaching and preaching. Those four daughters are involved in ministry in Jerusalem, telling the story of Jesus Christ to those who would hear it. 
you take a look at the very, very end of Paul's letter to the Roman church, Romans chapter 16, and he lists a laundry list of people to say hello to and to put their arm around, and two of those women are mentioned by name, Junia and Phoebe, both leaders in their congregations where they're located. Women coming alongside other men in the story of retelling the gospel account and how Jesus truly changes lives. They, they live in a culture that, that women have no voice, but now, because of Jesus Christ, things are different. You see, what we discover along the way is when Jesus comes to earth, he comes to tear down walls. He comes to bring a sledgehammer, to remove the barriers and build bridges, to remind us all that we've been invited to the table of God. You see, this world is definitely going in a different direction. And God knows that it's only through our transformed hearts and lives that behavior truly changes. He's more interested in our change rather than society because Jesus Christ knows when we change, society will change as well. That you and I have been commissioned to take that gospel message to those around us and live it out more than just words, but in how we treat one another and how we get along, how we are inclusive of those around us because Jesus Christ in his own life and ministry was inclusive. Now, I will say we we have 17 shepherds at our congregation here, and these men are incredibly gifted men who who are in prayer constantly, who dig into God's word consistently, trying to discover direction and vision, how Jesus is leading us in this place, in this culture at this time. We have a very special task at hand. Why? Because we are the ones living right now to share that message of Jesus Christ with those around us that will listen. And and as we've studied along the way, as we have looked at text and New Testament, as we've prayed for wisdom from the Holy Spirit, they've really unpacked and discovered there are two really roles here at the church that really are for male only. One would be the shepherding or elder role. It really mirrors or it's a template for what the home is supposed to look like. Now, I'm going to take a minute here, guys in the room. Men, we need to be leading in our home. We have got to be the husbands God expects us to be. We've got to be the fathers God expects us to be. We've got to be the ones exampling how to open the Bible and read from God's word. And have a prayer life that is beyond measure. To show our children what it means to serve other people. Guys, that's our role. That's who we're called to be. That's the template. The other role is the preaching and teaching role in the context of church. Again, how it looks like it unfolds in Scripture for us. But I want us to understand and know that women lead here at Crosspoint as well. Our women's ministry alone is an incredible ministry. And guys, it puts us to shame. I will tell you that right now. They are active in praying and serving and fellowshipping and getting together and Bible study. And we could learn a lot from how they live life together. But women are also involved in our kids' ministry and teaching, in our youth ministry. 
They're involved out front welcoming on a Sunday morning in our hospitality and just welcoming folks coming in the door. Females are involved in our, our AV sound booth area. They're involved in missions. We've heard from this very stage women unpack the trip that happened to Honduras or Kenya and remind us of how God is working through them in those particular areas. And what we find along the way, church, as we've talked about being a person of color and inclusive, as we talked about where you fall on the tax bracket, no matter what your nation of origin is, no matter if you're male or female, what we discover along the way is when we listen to other voices, we gain a new perspective. I'll tell you this morning, I'm really, really good at middle-aged white guy. I know that well. I don't know what it means to be an African-American. I don't know what it means to be a Hispanic or female. And so when we take time to listen to those voices, we gain a new appreciation, a new perspective. But our shepherds have best understood that the scriptural model for teaching the church family is a role that's really housed in the male, lines up with leading our family at home. But I also want to say this morning that I have thoroughly enjoyed and appreciated and been blessed with hearing a female's voice in the teaching role as well. There are so many different writers out there who are females and have a great insight into what it means to be a part of the story of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking of names like a Priscilla Shire, a name like a Christine Kane, a name like Barbara Brown Taylor, and of course, Robin Hall. I listen closely to that. But church, any time that you hear a female voice in the context of Crosspoint, whether it is an announcement, whether it's a voice from our praise team, whether it's a welcoming voice out in our commons, whether it is an announcement, whether it is someone involved giving a testimony, understand that the, the mic has not been disrespectfully grabbed. But our shepherds have already, with wisdom, designed that moment through the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I can gain perspective by bringing everyone that's invited to the table. But Paul told Timothy something in 1 Timothy, but also as he wrote 1 Corinthians. That church in Corinth had some issues along the way, but within the context of those letters, Paul says that women should be silent. Now, it, You've got to wrestle with that yourself. You've got to understand where culture is coming from, where the text is coming from, all of the different facets of how to explain. Because Paul also said that it's neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ. And so how do you discern? How do you call attention to? How do you figure what Paul is moving toward when he says those words? Because if we were to take it literally, church, a female could not speak any time in the assembly. A woman is to be silent. So how do we reconcile those two ideas? I, I think it's understanding best what the church in Corinth looked like. This was a church that had lots of issues. There was disruption in the assembly time. And Paul is trying to kind of get control of what is being said, what is being done in the process. When you take a look at the, le at the letter as a whole, you can begin to unpack some of the issues that the church in Corinth was having. 
There seemed to be divisive leadership within the church structure. But they also were addressed, Paul addressed incest. He addressed addressed prostitution. He addressed lawsuits among members. He addressed uh, idolatry, chaotic worship, and the inequality that existed around the Lord's table. You see, some of the more wealthy members would get to the church early in Corinth, and they would go ahead and have the Lord's Supper. And when the poor came, there was nothing left for them. Paul said, there are some issues that we need to attend to. There's some chaotic worship going on. We need to settle down and be more focused on the reason why we are together. So at Crosspoint, we we don't ask women to be silent. We hear them greeting out in the commons. We've heard them from this stage give testimony. We've heard them from uh, video give testimony. We hear their voices on our praise team. We've heard them give announcements before in the context of children's ministry and other avenues. We've heard them read scripture. You see, when we realize that Jesus came to tear down walls, then it means something different for you and for me as people who believe in Jesus Christ. It's not often, but I've been asked the question, why don't women serve communion? And it's more tradition than it is scriptural. You see, it's really a service moment. It's not a leadership position to serve. One is not assuming that leadership position by passing the trays back and forth. And we talk about passing the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, which brings us back to the table. And so the next few minutes we have together, I, I want to talk a little bit about why following Jesus Christ defies the sexism and genderism that exist in the culture in which we live. And the first one is this, that all humans are made in God's image. Male and female, made in God's image. And sometimes we lose track of that in our everyday life. We objectify or are we, we are subjective about a, a viewpoint on some person. But know that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now understand, the male was made first. And again, I think our template for how the home should be run, how the family of God, is considered in the leadership context. But it has nothing to do with both male and female being both made in the image of God. We all reflect God in our lives. Who you are in Christ is more than what you do and what your gender is. Who you are in Christ is everything. Amen? It is so true. He is our identity. And God naturally made men and women with different tendencies, different roles. But we end up missing the big picture of creation when we find ourselves in that moment. Jesus in his own ministry shows us how men and women are called into service together. How they're called into ministry together. And we can look at several options, but this morning, take a look at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, 
Verse 1, it says, Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. We see even in the life of Jesus, he breaks down the cultural barriers and he pulls both men and women alongside him to serve and be involved directly into ministry. Jesus consistently elevated the female in his culture, in a culture where they were sidelined and pigeonholed. Jesus did something absolutely incredible to break down walls and to build bridges. Two stories that stand out. In John chapter 4, we've talked about this one before, the woman at the well. In broad daylight at a public center where they get water, there is a woman and Jesus speaks to her. That's taboo in his culture. He should not have done that, especially as a rabbi. Not only that, is it a woman, but now he's talking to somebody they have racial tension with. Jews hated Samaritans. Jews considered them dogs. And yet here's Jesus breaking down walls, taking away barriers, making everyone realize we've all been invited to the table. Or there's a story in John chapter 8. The very front end of the chapter, it says that Jesus early in the morning went with his disciples to the temple. He wanted to instruct them, to teach them. And so they're in the temple grounds learning. Now, the leaders that existed in Jerusalem at the time wanted to, wanted to sideline Jesus. They wanted to do away with Jesus. And so they were aware of a couple that was committing adultery through the night. They went to their house early that morning. They dragged the woman out of bed. No doubt she barely had time to grab the bed sheet and wrap it around herself. They hauled her down through town, humiliating her to the temple where they threw her down at the feet of Jesus. And they said, the law says because of adultery, we should stone this woman. What do you say? And when you read the rest of the story, you begin to realize that Jesus gets down in the dirt with He wants her and us today reading that story to realize both men and women have been called into ministry to retell the story of Jesus Christ from different perspectives, to use our giftedness in a way that helps the body of Christ and shares the kingdom of God. When you look at the gospel accounts, it's the women who were at the cross with John. But the women there to take the body of Jesus Christ, it's the women who take Jesus' body to the tomb. It's the women the morning of when he's resurrected there to share that message with the other disciples. And Paul realizes that with Jesus, all things are new. Everything has been changed. And kind of our foundational text, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, Paul says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one because of what Jesus Christ did for us. The entire letter is a call for unity. 
When we focus on who we are in Christ, the walls begin to come down. It's different. Your gender is secondary to who you are in Christ. You are created in the image of God, and you are loved by Jesus Christ. But there has been a tension between male and female for a very long time. It's because sin created division where there should have been unity all along. Sin came into the world in that moment in Genesis chapter 3. God creates the Garden of Eden. He creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. They have hundreds and hundreds of acres, all kinds of things that they could do in the garden except for one tree right over there. That one tree, God said, don't go near it, don't look at it, don't eat of the fruit, don't climb the tree, don't carve your initials in the bark, stay away from the tree. There's just one thing you got to do. But you got all of this. We don't know how long they held up under temptation, but eventually the the deceiver, Satan, tells them this little story, and they eat of the tree, and immediately they know that they sinned. Things are very different. They realize their nakedness, and they realize where they are and what they've done, and so they go hide. The text tells us that God comes to walk in the cool of the day. Can you imagine that idea alone? Your creator coming to see you in the evening after dinner and asking you how your day went. Wow. So God comes. Where are you? Where are you hiding at? Why are you hiding? Who told you that? What have you done? And now there is going to be a penalty for doing what I've asked you not to do. The penalty comes down in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. Then God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, and he will rule over you. And you can see the picture in that moment. Adam takes a step back and says, oh, girl, I told you. He's putting Eve right up there. It was all her, God. But God says to Adam, step forward because I'm not done talking. Verse 17, and to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. And they were expelled. And that is when the tension began between male and female. When the storyline just didn't fit, the blame game started. Women will desire to subjugate men, and men will want to master everything but not be able to. It's an incredible story that exists even to this day. And what you and I have to remember is that it wasn't always like that. That you and I were created to be partners in telling the story of Jesus Christ. You see, initially it was a partnership mutually beneficial, but sin entered the picture and turned it into a series of prideful, 
selfish power plays that we still feel today. You and I still are a part of those power plays today. But understand God's plan from the get-go is that we work together realizing that one gender is not better than the other. That both male and female have been invited to the table of God. And church, when we choose to love and honor and respect one another, that's when the world sits up and takes notice. That's when the world looks at us and says, there's something different going on over there. I wonder what their story is. They're not at each other. They're not blaming one another. They seem to be unified in this one particular story about love. I want to be part of that process. And so as we talk about why Jesus came to this earth, it is because he chose to tear down walls, to get rid of barriers, to remind all of us that we're invited to the table of God. And so the challenge for you and I this morning is that we would lean into that story and we would love those around us, yes, even those who might have hurt us along the way. That we would not group everybody together in one particular group because one person has done something negative to us. That we would understand as we look at every single person we come in contact with every day that everyone was made in the image of God. Everyone. And that Jesus Christ came to die for that person as well. And so as we live this story out, as we lean into making space for other genders, understand that we all have perspective. We all have giftedness from God, and we're all called to unify and use that giftedness for God's glory, for his story, not for selfish promotion, but so that Jesus Christ is known to the world around us. And so the challenge is for you this morning, from this day forward, That you and I, as we come in contact with people standing in the bank line or at Walmart or at the red lights or right here in our congregation or in your neighborhood or the, the extended family reunion, that as we look at every single person that we interact with on a daily basis, that we'll realize Jesus Christ came for that person and we are his extension. How do we imitate Jesus Christ? Making sure people feel loved, honored, and respected. That's Jesus' way. And I hope you'll join me in telling that story every day from here forward. As we sing this next song, our shepherds are going to be gathered along the wall of this room. And my hope would be if you've got a prayer request, you've got something going on in your life right now, that you'd go see one of those elder couples and let them pray for you, pray over you, and work through, help you work through understanding that Jesus is with you in the mix. Or maybe today... You're a believer in Jesus Christ, but you've never publicly declared that through baptism. And so today's the day that you want to start your holiday season on the right foot. That today's the day that you'll be baptized, raised up out of those waters, a brand new creation. And blessed with the Holy Spirit within. And you can begin that life in Jesus Christ, fully forgiven and embracing everything that he has for you. My hope is that we'll praise him together as we sing this next song. Let's stand.